Local real estate means dealing with local experts to not only guide you through selling a home and buying a home, but also to advise you on making sure your affairs are in order with your estate. And when you're an adult and you've got kids and assets and responsibilities, an estate plan makes really good sense. Sam Luis Obispo, born and bred estate planning and litigation attorney Ed Atala, joins this local experts episode of the Slow County Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever tried to get a half hour of a lawyer's time for free? Well, it's right here on the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with Hal Swayze. Here's your host, James Bueno. All right, it's time for another podcast episode, Slow County Real Estate with Hal Swayze. Guess what? Hal Swayze's with us. Hal, how are you doing, sir? I'm great, James. Thank you. And as always, back in action, Mr. JT John Turner. How are you doing, sir? Present. Hal, you know what? It's a special day. It Once is. again, we have, a, we have a guest, a visitor, and I'm kind of excited we had a special guest before, but this is now a specialer guest. This is a spe- yeah. Is specialer a word, yeah. JT? More specialer. Wait, no. Wait, you're, you're the you're the math guy. You're not the English guy. It's a modello especial. Well, Hal, why don't you uh, introduce our guest for us? Sure. We have um, local resident, longstanding attorney Ed Atala here. Who? Um, well, I'm, I don't want to try to describe what he does because I don't understand it. Well, as Ed all guests, Atala. he gets a round of applause for for yeah. coming. So right, everybody, Ed. give him a round of applause. Yes, all guests get that. So, so Ed is. This is his. He's done like a thousand of these podcasts. So, Ed, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do? I am a local guy who grew up in San Luis Obispo, went to preschool here, graduated Cal Poly, uh, ultimately went to law school, moved my way back home. I practice small town law. I do state planning for many people in town. I'm a business lawyer. I handle some real estate matters. Primarily, I I help people with their wills, trusts, probates, trust administration, uh, enjoy being a small town lawyer, and uh, everybody I know that goes to you really appreciates your your advice, right? Oh, thank so you. I appreciate that. Yeah, so so Ed's here because sometimes we have people that have questions about what to do with their real estate. And official topic today is real yeah. estate trust. Yeah. So why is it important to have real estate in a trust, or is it important to have your real estate versus you know how you to- hold title? Well, the the main purpose to have your trust funded with your real estate is to avoid probate. That is the main intent of putting your assets in your trust. Most people that own real estate, whether they hold title in their individual names or in an LLC, ultimately fund, and that's the proper term, fund that asset into their trust. So when they pass, they avoid probate. Why do you want to avoid probate? Three reasons. Probate is extremely time consuming because it's going to involve the court system in in transferring your assets from the decedent to the heirs. It's public in nature, and most people do not want their assets published to, to Tom, Dick, and Harry. And, and third, and most importantly, it's really expensive, and it's an expense that could be avoided by your estate or by your heirs if you plan accordingly and create a trust for their benefit and for your benefit while you're alive. I'm just going to throw out an example. You know, I just recently had someone say um, they wanted their mother had passed away and, and their mother had a trust, and, but they had to go through tr- probate. And I go, well, that's strange. Why? And she goes, well, it turns out we never, mom or did, never put her house in the trust. So talk to us how that affects things. And, you know, as a homeowner that might be listening or somebody that has a home, maybe thinks they're, they have a trust and their house is covered. How, how does that happen? It happens all the time. I have people come into the office and they, they bring their trust. It comes in, a, in the form of a binder. It's a document they've signed to put into creation. And they go, hey, Ed, we've got some grandchildren now. We want to make some updates. Um, but don't worry. We've already got our trust in place. And the, and the question I have to ask, even though the trust exists, is, is that trust funded? 
Did you transfer your assets from your individual name into that trust, into that entity? Okay. And that's why the example you're giving, Hal, is, is a very common example in which people don't understand that after they create a trust, they have to fund it. And the way to do that is to take title of your real estate, which is on a deed. And you sign a deed from Hal Swayze, the individual, into Hal Swayze's trust or the Swayze Family Trust, where Hal Swayze is a trustee of that trust. If you don't do that properly, what happens is that piece of real estate gets probated. And at the end of the probate, when you have a pour over will, it it then transfers the asset to the trust, and then you have a trust administration. So you get double dipped. You have to pay for the probate, and then it transfers to trust, and you pay for the trust administration as well. That's not what people want. It's not what was intended. When I think of that, it's like, okay, the trust is kind of like we have a vault and a safe at our house, so everything's cool. Yeah, it's cool unless you don't put the stuff in the safe. Exactly. If you right. leave it out on the coffee room table, yeah, it might be gone if it, you leave the front door open. Right. The probate, let's talk about that because all I know is secondhand, never had to deal with it personally, but I see it in my business. I mean, it, I mean, first of all, the courts are hard to get into, it seems like, these days. and So it sounds like it's timely and costly. I mean, it, it surely is time-consuming. Did I say timely? It's, it's not time as consuming. timely, but it is time-consuming. Time consuming. It's a time-consuming process. Yeah, that's the word. Okay, because when you open a probate, you petition the court, and then you have to publish notice of the probate, and then you go to a hearing where the judge wants to appoint somebody as an executor of the estate to manage the assets going through probate. So yep. that just takes some time. Right. If when you go to the hearing to appoint the executor, someone objects, the court schedules a hearing date to hear the objection to appoint the executor. So now nothing's happened. Right. We're still trying to appoint the executor. It could be a very, very time-consuming process from start to finish, as opposed to putting your assets in a trust and nominating a trustee so that that person has authority when you pass, and your administration of your trust is not public in nature. Typically, a trust can be administered depending on its terms, but if it's gathering up the decedent's assets, identifying liabilities, paying off taxes or other liabilities, and then distributing, that can happen in 120, 180 days, sometimes a year if it's complex, depending on the terms. You know, Some people really want to control their assets from the grave, yep. can complicate an administration. But if it's just, hey, when I'm gone, pay my bills and distribute to my three kids, you know, that could be 120-day process, 180-day process, simple. And, it, and most importantly, not public. What you're saying is if I, have, if I own my home, I pass away, my home is funded into my trust, that my executor could sell my home within 180 days? Yeah, and actually, you're making an error, John, that's okay. really important. Good. And it's terminology. Help me. Um, when you have a will or you have nothing at all, the person that is in charge of the, the probate, if you have a will, that person's called the executor. Okay. When you have a trust, the person in charge of your trust to administer is called a successor trustee. Different terminology, same function, basically, but different terminology that indicates that we're dealing with a probate or we're dealing with a trust administration. Okay, right. And what you're asking is correct. If you pass and you've correctly funded your real estate into your trust, we won't have a probate. We'll avoid the cost, time, and expense of, of probate so that it, that asset distributes to your heirs. Sometimes, as Hal knows, sometimes that asset is sold based on the terms of the trust, or sometimes you might have an asset in trust, like a, a piece of real estate where you say, when I pass, leave my, my residence to John. 
right? And John may sell it, and Hal may have to deal with John ultimately when it gets uh, when it gets distributed to him from the trust terms. I hope I don't have to deal with John. I've dealt with him before. <laughs> so, <laughs> you already do. Let me ask you this. So if you're a young family, you're younger, it's your first house. Is that something somebody should immediately go, okay, I should get it with a trust attorney or get a trust drafted up so that my property can be in the trust? Is it is it that critical to do right away? Well, you know, since we all don't have a crystal ball, it, the, the trust doesn't have a an age, right? It, as long as you have assets that are $185,000 in value or more, your estate's going to be subject to a probate depending on how you hold title. Assuming you hold title in your individual name and you pass right. and your assets are worth more than 185000 And importantly, the, the mortgage on the property is not taken into consideration when you're looking at the assets value. So for example, long ago, if you were able to purchase a house in San Luis Obispo for $500,000 and you put 20% down so that you had a mortgage of 400000 right. let's follow that math, yep. and you pass in probate, the court doesn't look to say, oh, well, there's only 100000 in equity. The value of the property, 500000 is in excess of 185000 That asset's going to be probated. Yeah, the okay? gross So value. it doesn't matter how, how old you are, whether you're a young family or an established family. It matters how you're holding title to your assets and what your intention is to pass those assets to your heirs without a time-consuming, expensive public process like probate. I'm so excited at age 30 to move into my first house with my wife and two kids. And I know this is a, uh, the podcast is about the topic of real estate and trusts, but aren't there other reasons that a family would want to consider a, a, a family trust other than assets? The, the purpose of the trust, John, typically is to avoid probate first and foremost. But the other nice thing that a trust does is it's an entity that's going to hold these assets for your benefit. So let's say, for example, unfortunately, young or old, you're subject to some sort of dementia or a closed head injury. The assets will be used and managed for your benefit if you have your assets in a trust. It makes the vehicle used to take care of you simpler and subject to rules that can be enforced by a court. And it's important to note also that while probates where people pass and they have assets in their individual names probate court is the court that handles the affairs of deceased people so even if you have your assets in a trust if you happen to be the beneficiary of a trust and for whatever reason you don't feel like you got your share or god forbid you're wondering where your share is and and how swayze the trustee drives by in a brand new corvette and you go what the heck what's how swayze doing in a brand new corvette you want an accounting for that trust. You want to know what's going on. Even though you're in a trust, that trust is subject to being pulled into probate court because the court that is the court that handles the affairs of deceased people. So as a beneficiary, John, you would petition the court for an accounting from how your trustee to find out what's going on. Where's my, where's my distribution? Where's the money that my parents left behind? How's it been spent and managed and administered? Does a does the trust help the young family in case uh, something were to happen to the the two parents? Does the trust account for what happens to the children in in that situation? Sure, that it's a very common provision that 
allows the trust assets to be held for the children's benefit in trust without distributing to them outright. So, for example, the trust template I use, it holds assets in trust for children until they turn 30, right? And the nice thing about that is they take free of trust at 30, but the nice thing about that is if your parents pass and you're in your 20s, you have your 20s to make the mistakes young people do to get the life experience many people get. If you marry poorly and divorce, it, if you commingle your assets that you inherited, you're going to lose half your assets where a community property state. Trust can control and protect young people as well if they're drafted properly so that they have time to age up and, and gain life experience while their assets are managed by someone perhaps with a little bit more expertise, like a trustee with financial wealth management experience or just life experience. It, it's interesting because I think um, I, I deal with people once they get to that point sometimes when they're selling their real estate, and it's a huge responsibility to be a trustee. If you're a family or people, you have children or relatives that you want to benefit if you pass away or when you pass away, since I guess that's going to happen to everybody, um, I, I find it's good for people to know, okay, you know, my, my one son is great with money. The other one's not so responsible. He's He's going to be better at the trustee, but it's also a pressure situation because you have people that have – uh, beneficiaries that are going to get the resources, but you have somebody that's calling the shots, and and sometimes the family's like, well, why did they pick you know why did they pick John to be the trustee? You know, I mean, I feel like I could have figured this thing out better than him. It, it's a tough position to be in, but it's better than being in like, oh, you guys just figure it out because I'm gone, right? And I, I just think people just miss that point, and they go, gosh, if I had any idea what I would have been putting my family through without taking that precaution, just checking with a professional like you. I mean, it can save a lot of heartache, you know, that I'm sure they don't want already after dealing with a, a pass of a person. So how would you encourage people to pay attention to that? A couple of really good points that you're making there, How One is, while it is an honor to serve as a trustee for perhaps your parents' trust or a dear friend's trust, it, it's a reflection of the fact that they trust you and they, they think that you're going to do a fiduciary responsibility, take on the fiduciary responsibility of managing the trust assets, paying the bills, distributing it is an, and can be a very onerous position. Um, oftentimes, when you're the trustee handling perhaps a, a tax return or the sale of a difficult property or maybe dealing with a beneficiary that's got some issues, you know, if you have a full-time job in your own family, uh, the trust can take on a life of its own. Yeah. And so, and if you're a beneficiary of that trust, the only question you want answered is, when do I get my distribution? <laughs> right? Why is this taking so long, for God's sakes? Right. So depending on the complexity of the trust administration um, and actually the personalities of the beneficiaries and, and dynamic of the family, it, being a trustee can be a very, very onerous position and, and many people decline. They don't want the job. Um, and when people are planning their, their estate plan and they have to name people as trustee, oftentimes parents will say, look, uh, I love my three kids. Uh, they aren't the best at getting along you know, we'll fight over what pie we're going to have for Thanksgiving. For that reason, I don't want any one of them to be in the role of trustee. I want to pick either an independent uh, professional or a family friend, but I want someone, some third party outside the family to have the responsibility of being a trustee, understanding that that person is going to receive some reasonable compensation to be the trustee so that I can try to put my kids in a, in a relationship where it can be preserved and we don't have to fight about administration. So you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, the family dynamic, the personalities of the beneficiaries, the complexities of the state 
all factor into how do you nominate a trustee. And importantly, better to pick more than one, right? Because oftentimes people go, well, listen, I'm going to pick my brother John. No sweat, he'll do it. John might be older, right? He might, by the time you pass, not want that responsibility. Um, Could be going through a divorce, could have health issues of his own. Good to have a couple alternatives, some contingencies built into your trust so that if someone doesn't step up and be a trustee, you can you can deal with that without having to go into court to have someone appointed. Right. And I spent 40 years in the insurance industry, and at times it was frustrating that uh, people, it was so obvious people needed insurance coverages and they just didn't buy them. Why do you think so many people that should have a trust don't? Uh, probably first and foremost, John, I would say a lot of people don't have any estate plan documents, right? They, it's probably much like life insurance, I would suspect, where people go, I'll deal with that one tomorrow, right? Who wants to have a conversation about the life insurance package you need? Uh, death. Uh, you know, I mean, none of us want to face that reality, even though it is a reality. We're all going to be there one day. So first and foremost, I just think it's the easiest thing in the world to put off. Number one. Number two, I often get people who come in and they don't want the expense because it's not just a trust, it's an estate plan. When when you come in and we start talking about what do you need as a human being as you move through life, you know, one of the, the documents that make up an estate plan is an advanced health care directive. Well, once you're eighteen years old, you ought to have one because God forbid you're in a position in life where someone needs to make a health care decision for you. Good idea to have that document in place, right? right. Um, so it's not just a trust. The trust is the document that is driving typically the, the decision-making to, to go into and have an estate planning appointment because you suddenly have assets worth more than 185000 that you want to protect from the probate process. If you're a young family like we've been talking about, sometimes what drives the decision to do an estate plan doesn't have anything to do with your assets. It has to do with the fact that you've got three kids and you want to make sure that Hal's brother isn't going to be the guardian of those kids. That drives young families as, gosh, if something were to happen to the two of us, who's going to love our kids and, and take care of them? We need to appoint guardians. Right. You know, I get, I get this phone call probably once a year, John. Um, hey, Ed, uh, uh, Sally and I are going to Hawaii on Saturday. I'm like, oh, God, Hal, that's great news, right? Um, what do you call me for? Oh, shoot, man. Christmas, I promised her we'd do an estate plan before we left, and uh, it's Wednesday. We're leaving on Saturday. <laughs> right? And, and it's not about the assets. It's about I'm not getting on that plane because I don't want your brother taking over for the kids. That's not who I want. So, you know, we better do something quick. Take two planes. Yeah. Right. So, you know, uh, we draft probably a, a Band-Aid trust or a Band-Aid will to – to identify some guardians so Sally gets on that plane. And then when John comes back, I'm like, hey, buddy, don't forget, we got to finish this thing off. Yeah, 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 I'll get to it tomorrow. Yeah. Right? But bottom line is uh, there's many factors that drive people to an estate plan. What we're talking today about real estate and funding your trust properly is one avenue that drives people to an estate plan. But oftentimes there are health issues you need an advanced health care directive. There are young children. You need a guardian. There's many, many reasons like an insurance when you have some liability or risk or exposure that you want to take care of. It's just good planning makes good sense. I don't know anyone that I've handled, you know, granted I'm a lawyer, but insurance is one of those things that when the, the catastrophe happens, do you ever have enough insurance? 
right? I mean, life's unknown and the planning that we all do, we try to do our best. And that's the thing is you just do your best. And when you're an adult and you've got kids and assets and responsibilities, an estate plan makes really good sense. So one one of the things I see a lot, and again, this is a real estate show, is, and we've seen home prices and home values go up quite a bit, is I, I believe, and this is tax-related, so Ed, you know, I'm, I'm sure you can speak to it, but when you have it, when you hold property in a trust and one of the trustees passes, I'm pretty sure you usually get what they call a stepped-up in basis. Yeah. Um, I, I can't give you tax advice, but I can tell you what I know about a step-up in basis. Mm-hmm. And, and let me give you my own example. I grew up in San Luis Obispo, like I said, and my parents were here in the 60s and they bought a, a lot and they developed a house. And let's say, for example, the price of the lot and the, the construction of the house cost them $100,000. So in this hypothetical, their basis in the property would be a hundred grand. Okay, my mom passes, my dad lives another 20 years. When, he, when he's gonna, toward the end of his life, when, when he's planning, he realizes that one option would be to sell his house but, and, and let's say in this example, let's say his house at that time is worth a million dollars. If he sells his house, he's going to pay a capital gain on, on his gains. So if his basis is 100000 and he sells for a million, he's got a gain of $900,000 that he's going to pay some capital gains on. Whether it's short term or long term, you're going to pay a capital gains tax. He doesn't want to do that. Like most people, they go, oh, God, I paid enough taxes in my life. I, how do I avoid that one? Right. The way you avoid that one is you don't sell your real estate during your lifetime, okay? And when you pass, your children get what's called, or your heirs, get what's called a step up in basis. The tax code allows your heirs basis to become the fair market value of the property at the time of your death. So if my dad was correct and he sold, if he sold his basis, it would be 100. If he waits until he passes, my brother and I, get a new basis. And if he was correct in the value of the property was a million dollars, our basis becomes a million dollars. Now, if we sell the property a year later for a million one, our gain is a hundred thousand dollars that we're going to pay tax on. If we sell it for 900,000 because prices drop after his death, if it was valued at a million and we sell it for 900,000, we don't have a gain. Right. Okay. So that's how basis generically works. And um, you know, if you want more advice about that, under your circumstances, you probably should consult someone with a, a degree that can talk more accurately about that and your, your circumstances. But that's, that's how it works in, in hypothetically. I was paying bills for a family friend. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't on any of the accounts other than to be able to sign, sign checks. When she passed, uh, she had $350,000 in a money market <clears throat> that was not part of the trust. And, uh, you know, in meeting with her estate planning lawyer, um, we realized that was a huge mistake. One of the assets that remained in her individual name, despite the fact she had a trust, was a, an, a bank account with $350,000 in it. And unfortunately, in your circumstance, that bank account is going to have to go through probate. And once it, it gets through the probate process, she has what's called a pour over will. It's a catch-all will so that once the asset is probated or assets in some cases are probated, those assets pour over or distribute to the trust so that the distribution plan in the trust takes effect. The issue is, and it happens quite a bit, are you funding your trust 
properly? Have you had the education or explanation you need so that you understand what assets belong in your trust and what assets like pay on death assets, for example, life insurance or 401k where you've nominated a beneficiary, don't get funded to your trust. The other issue we talked about, if I may, is we talked about a circumstance where sometimes, you know, dad's aging and he's got three children, mom's gone. Dad is tired of paying his bills. Very common circumstance. And and the children are, are concerned that dad's going to be taken advantage of financially, so they want to monitor his accounts. So what happens is one of the, the children, typically the one that lives closest to dad, is put on dad's account to pay bills and to, to see the statement monthly and make sure everything's straight. Sometimes that account gets put into what's called joint tenancy. Joint tenancy is a type of title in California that the survivor of the joint tenants and the five of us sitting in this room, we could all be joint tenants. It doesn't have to do with being family or husband and wife. Anyone could be joint tenants. So father and son could be on an account as joint tenants. And if dad passes first, the account is owned by the son. Well, if the account has, you know, half a million bucks in it, that son's bill paying for, but dad always intended the assets to be distributed equally among his three kids, we've created quite a problem because now son owns an account for that's 500 grand and he's got to distribute you know part of that account to his siblings that's going to be potentially a taxable event because he can't hand off 100 plus 1000 dollars to each of his siblings it's an issue that we deal with sometimes joint tenancy is sometimes misunderstood when good intentions are at hand where you're trying to help your dad pay bills and all of a sudden he passes in and you own the account or you own the house or what have you. It's, it's a tenancy or a title that that's not often completely understood through the estate plan process. So create a trust and fund it properly. Create Bottom a trust line. and get an education so that you can uh, use the right attorney that's going to educate you so that your assets, your tax circumstance is handled the way you want it handled, that things are distributed the way you want. It's an important part of the aging process, and if you're over 18 years old, you still need a health care directive, a power of attorney, a simple will, something like that, so that if, God forbid, you're a young person and you, you, you have a health need or you need someone to make, you know, you're lucky enough to own real estate and someone needs to sign your name while you're incapacitated, uh, hopefully a power of attorney will, will allow that, try to bring this back home to real estate, but, you know, there are documents out there and things that young people need to do that are adults that take care of business, particularly real estate. Wow. Wow. That's uh, tons of amazing information. I, we're, I think three of us are just sitting here kind of in awe listening to you talk there. So, Right. This is why we can't <laughs> yeah. be lawyers. That's one reason. This, yeah. this gives new meaning to I couldn't pass the bar. <laughs> Usually I just go right in the bar, but that's yeah. that test. That's why I know I can't do yeah, it. I'm not going to tell my favorite lawyer joke. Okay. Tell it. Oh, oh come on. JT, well, all of a sudden you you're shy. What, you know what you have uh, you know, when you have uh, – uh, uh, you know what you need when you have a bunch of lawyers up to their necks in wet cement? What? You have a need for additional wet cement. <laughs> <laughs> Let everybody know how they can get a hold of you. Um, you know, emails, phone numbers, text messages, everything you want to give up. Yeah, the probably the best way, most common way to get a hold of me is just call me. My number is simple. It's 805-543-1212. Uh, my office is right downtown San Luis Obispo. I'm a block away from San Luis High on Higuera, at the corner of California and Higuera, 1502 Higuera. I'm on the internet, 
you can I have a website. You can contact me through my website at atalalaw.com, A-T-T-A-L-A-L-A-W.com. You know, I'm around town. I'm easy to find, and um, I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak with all of you today. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. And also, they can get get a hold of Hal, and Hal knows how to get a hold of you as well. So Absolutely. For sure. If they want to talk to the, the big guy first, they can, he can get a hold of you. And the big guy, that's you, Hal. Okay, thank yeah. you. Okay. Excellent. Appreciate it, Ed. Um, Hal, John, I appreciate you guys being here, too. I good hope, to have the I hope good you, to have the band back together. The band is almost. Jay's yeah. not here. We're, get, we're getting close. We've got the drummer, the lead drummer. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thank you very much. We appreciate it. And uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the House Swayze podcast. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. It comes out every Monday, so check for it in your feed for the latest information on the San Luis Obispo County market. The Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and on housewayze.com where you can find current listings and other real estate tips. Housewayze.com, that's H-A-L-S-W-E-A-S-E-Y.com. I am James Bueno, Director of Marketing for the House Swayze Group. If you're looking for anything real estate, give us a call, 805-781-3750. House Swayze is a licensed California real estate broker. DRE number 01111911. The Slow County Real Estate with House Swayze Podcast is a production of AGM Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.